Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. According to the Los Angeles Police Department, there was a 12.6% increase in hate crimes in the first half of 2017. There was 161 crimes compared to 143 in the same period last year. They additionally recorded 230 such crimes in 2016, the highest number in the city since 2008. The masks have come off. We now have a president that has been openly endorsed by the likes of David Duke, head of the KKK. Are we headed towards fascism? Are we normalizing hate? Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! No one will honor us for losing gracefully. No one mourns the great crimes committed against us. For us, it is conquer or die. The mainstream media, or perhaps we should refer to them in the original German, Lugenpresse. It's not just that they are leftist and cucks. It's not just that many are genuinely stupid. Indeed, one wonders if these people are people at all. (laughs) Or instead, soulless golem, animated by some dark power to repeat whatever talking point John Oliver stated the night before. (laughs) To be white is to be a striver, a crusader, an explorer, and a conqueror. We build, we produce, we go upward. And we recognize the central lie of American race relations. We don't exploit other groups. We we don't gain anything from their presence. They need us and not the other way around. Within the very blood in our veins as children of the sun lies the potential for greatness. That is the great struggle we are called to. We are not meant to live in shame and weakness and disgrace. We were not meant to beg for moral validation from some of the most despicable creatures to ever populate the planet. We were meant to overcome, overcome all of it, because that is natural and normal for us. The press has clearly decided to double down and wage war against the legitimacy of Trump and the continued existence of white America. But they are really opening up the door for us. America was, until this past generation, a white country designed for ourselves and our posterity. It is our. Right. All right. Well, let's. Um, it is our. Let's talk about your recent piece in the Atlantic. I thought it was a really well written look into the uh, machinations of the neo Nazis and the alt right, how they connect, how they unite, how the internet has enabled their growth, etc. How concerned do you think Americans should be about this, and what can we do to pay more attention and become involved in maybe slowing the growth of what's happening? Well, I think Americans should be very concerned. 
and not just about the alt-right, but certainly about what the alt-right represents and about the energy that the alt-right has created and kind of the mechanisms by which the alt-right has been able to inject some of their hate, some of their really nasty views, some of the, I guess, subcultural production of things like memes and, and either that disguise uh, the racism and the fascism into the mainstream. And those are right. avenues that groups that are adjacent to the alt-right also take advantage of. Um, so, of course, we should all be very concerned about fascist and racist far-right extremists who embrace a violent ideology. Uh, more concerning to me, though, are is the much larger population of people on the right who do not openly identify as alt-right white supremacists, white nationalists, mm -hmm. might even uh, openly reject racism uh, if you're, you know, in a conversation with them, but then will behave in a very similar fashion mm -hmm. as these alt-right guys. Right. And so there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of ideological overlap and, well, and yeah, there's a much bigger community. It has, well, but see, here's the thing. I think it's been normalized over decades. Uh, oh, I don't absolutely. think you, I don't think you have to, you know, have a swastika armband on to have your talking points line up almost exactly with some of these all right talking points. I mean, you just right. have to have watched enough Fox News uh, for uh, uh, enough years. Right. No, I think you're right. And I think even though this has been coming and growing, I, Donald Trump being elected, let everybody just for some reason take their masks, masks off, so to speak, and become uh, really open about what they think and they feel. Uh, you had the Richard Spencer think tank, and I'm using my scare quotes here, imagine scare quotes, think tank, that had, <laughs> that had their uh, meetings in Washington, D.C., where you saw them doing Heil, Trump, and all this stuff. But if you go into the videos and you actually watch what was being said there, it's a little bit disturbing because they're literally talking about things that have been debunked a long time ago, that, that blacks are less intelligent, that we should just accept this, that we did them a favor by invading their countries, they need us, you know, this sort of thing. And they're just talking openly about this. Uh, did you, by any chance, attend that or talk to any of those folks while they were doing that over the weekend? Yes, I was, I was at that conference. I was not present when Heilgate, as it's called, happened, which is when... Heilgate. <laughs> Yeah. Richard Spencer gave this toast. He's, yeah. I think at the end of it, he raised a drink and he said, hail Trump, hail our people. Yeah. And I believe he also said hail victory, which is the translation of mm -hmm. Sieg Heil. And, right. and some guys jumped up and started actually Sieg Heiling. So I was not there for that, but I was there for much of that event earlier in the day. And it's a very strange kind of feeling to be, shaking hands and, you know, talking politely mm -hmm. with people who hold these views. Right. And I, I think I'm able to do that in a way that some other people aren't simply because of how they perceive me, which is I'm a straight white Gentile male. And mm -hmm. they ha a kind of have this uh, sense that they're going to convert me or that I secretly <laughs> share some of their views and I just haven't uh, figured it out yet. But 
and I always make it very clear that I, I do not share your views. I'm just, I'm just reporting on what's going right. on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. And, and, you know, that whole Richard Spencer crowd, that is the coat and tie Nazi crowd as it's called. <laughs> it, yeah. And, and that's, that has been a concerted effort over years. It's not just with Richard Spencer. It started before him, but he, he has kind of perfected it. Uh, right. and that is, you know, we're going to discard all these symbols of, of hate that, uh, you know, decent society identifies such as, you know, the swastika or right. anything having to do with the Klan. Um, this is an older generation of white supremacy. They've, they've uh, diligently distanced themselves from that and scrubbed up their image. Mm-hmm. And that's why that, that's why it's called Heilgate because I think Richard Spencer looking back on that would mm. really wish that his audience members had not had not gone and crossed that line because right. once they do, well, now we know you for what you are, and there's no you cannot deny it. Right. And you know the the purpose of Identity Europa is to have that cleaner image. We're not skinheads. We're not marching around in black boots. We are college students. We are in professional careers. We are these folks that we understand and realize that our quote unquote white culture is being decimated and, and it's a thing that we should protect. It's, it's, um, the cleaner scrub, scrub down version of Nazism, but it's still Nazism. Um, that to me is one of the most disturbing things that I've seen happen because this normalization that's, that's created around Richard Spencer, as you called, I chuckle because it's, that's exactly what it is, the coat and tie Nazi group. They, they have this image where the media kind of says, Oh, here's this good looking glamour guy. How bad can he be? Well, he's really bad. Um, so, how has the internet and specifically social media made it easier for neo Nazis to connect and incite hatred? Well, I think uh, what, what you're just talking about actually ties into that because mm-hmm. in the past, pre internet or pre uh, functioning internet where you could you could organize and connect with other people so easily. These guys actually had to meet in person. They had to, you know, meet in a field and burn a cross or whatever it was, right? And, right, right. And and so there's something that it goes along with that in-person gathering um, that, you know, the symbology is more important, um, the in-group messaging, really. And, but now mm-hmm. with the Internet, it's more about, uh, I see it as, as serving two functions for them. One is it's a megaphone for their propaganda, which is about the outward facing part of the white supremacist movement. And that's where they want to polish everything up. They want to make it more palatable. Um, they want to draw in what they call our normies, normal, you know, conservatives right. basically is what they're targeting. And then they red bill them and red pill them. Yeah. Yeah, it's done gradually. It's a, the Matrix reference. I'm sure you're right, right. what that is. But, mm-hmm. um, and they want to do it gradually. You, you know, there's the Andrew Anglin technique, which is let's clobber them over the head immediately with, you know, <laughs> just sort of Hitler-esque type Nazism. And uh, a lot of people in the movement disagree with that because they think it's too strong and you need mm-hmm. to so gradually indoctrinate uh, people. But then the other thing that the Internet has really enabled them to do is organized. And right. so, they, you know, on the one hand, they've got this reach that they have never had in the past, which is 
just, you know, you can have 50 guys that can reach millions of, online right. if they're active enough on social media. And then you also have an ability to organize and connect and create these, I mean, I view them as echo chambers where, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to wind up on a certain site and you're going to be bombarded with the propaganda. And if you're susceptible to this, you're going to start to radicalize. And then there are these forums where they can organize actual events and they've been trying to take some of their hate offline and bring it into the real world, into the street. Right. And, you know, we saw that in Charlottesville. That was frankly a disaster for them, but yeah. I, I don't think they're going to stop. I think they're going to continue to try to do that. We'll see how effective they can be, but mm-hmm. the inter- the internet has made it possible for just take Charlottesville, for example, right? They organized in all these, these Discord chat rooms. Um, right. They organized in the forums of the Daily Stormer and other sites. And these were guys coming from all over the country, and they had organized effectively. They knew what they were going to wear. They had their shields. They had um, right. you know, the, march, the march routes all planned out. And this was all done online and, and kind of secretly. You know, mm-hmm. some people infiltrated those forums, but... That's the power of the internet now. That's why this is far more worrisome to experts that I talk to than the older generation of Mm -hmm. white supremacy, which was confined to burning that cross in the field. Right. Uh, So on that note, do you think the percentage of self-identified neo-Nazis has increased, or do you just think that perhaps they're being more flagrantly open about what they believe? That's a hard one to answer. I mean, they're definitely being flagrantly open about what they mm-hmm. believe. And I attribute that, I attribute a lot of that to the Trump administration, to Trump's campaign yeah. and the administration now. Uh, in terms of there being more of them, that's the really scary part. We, you know, I, I'm constantly being criticized by, it tends to be mainstream conservatives for covering this at all. You know, just look away, just just ignore this and they'll go away. I'm sorry, right. but no, they won't because right. they have the Internet now, because our society has shifted over time. I mean, we've had, you know, certain things that have happened in our society, just socioeconomically, culturally, that have created the conditions for this younger generation yep. coming up to be more extreme, to be pushed yep. out of the center on both sides. But it's the yep. far right that is more worrisome. And that's mm-hmm. where they're really getting radicalized by, by this, these conspiracy theories. I see a lot of that. You know, Alex yeah. Jones is a gateway into this world. And you, you're talking about millions of people that are playing around in this space. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're all headed for white supremacy, white nationalism, the alt-right, whatever you want to call it. But it, it blends together in some way yeah. and you, you don't need to go all the way to harbor some really dangerous, radical fascist and racist ideas that, that um, can cause some, are going to, I think it cause some problems for our society going forward. Oh, I completely concur. And I also agree with you that it shouldn't be ignored. And, you know, my grandfather lived through Nazi Germany and before he passed away, I actually asked him what, could have been done to stop Hitler. And his response was, 
we shouldn't have should have taken it more seriously and opened our mouths earlier because that's what happened. Everybody ignored it. They thought it was a joke at first, you know, and then by the time where, where it became clear that he wasn't, everybody was too afraid to do anything. So yeah, we should fight fascism. I completely have no problem with Antifa as an organization. God bless them. On that note, do you think it's okay to punch a Nazi? (laughs) 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 Um, I do not advocate violence, Tina. (laughs) <laughs> I, I um look i i believe that your grandfather had the right attitude we have to recognize a threat to uh our our way of life to our democracy right. at an early stage and we have to confront it in the best the most effective way what is the most effective way i think is is the question is it to punch a Nazi in the face. I don't know. I wrote a whole story about this where I, I raised the question and I, I couldn't answer it, but I raised the question, uh, right. does punching a Nazi in the face actually help the Nazis more now, especially in an era of social media and these viral videos mm-hmm. and just one ill-considered punch and suddenly you're generating, you know, hours and hours of propaganda for not just the far-right extremists, but people who might be on the way to, to in that direction, radicalizing in that direction. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot of messaging about yeah. Antifa, uh, you know, over the years because they're the scary anarchists or the right. commies or, or whatever. They're, it's the black bloc. They're trying to burn down society. But I've hung out with a lot of them now. And I'm telling you, their motivation is pretty simple. It is to right. fight fascism, racism, misogyny. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the main thing that right. drives them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a right. question of, ta- of tactics and I'm a journalist, so I can't punch anybody unless they punch, <laughs> try to punch me first. <laughs> well, did you see, I can't think of who the comedian was, but there was a, a viral video of a comedian, a stand-up comic. It was actually a very funny video where, talking about this very subject and he says he goes he makes this joke about well what happens after you punch nazi he's like well i don't know maybe you punch another nazi like (laughs) (laughs) i did see that yeah did you see that it was actually very funny it made me chuckle and it made me sort of actually think through this like he's got a point i mean do you really argue with these folks on you know he listed a whole host of of, uh fictional places but in the the world of ideas they've already been radicalized at that point i don't think anything we say to them is going to change their minds you know you and i met over um over some twitter battles in regards to these folks they are they literally bring up long debunked science as a defense for their belief systems, meaning things from the you know 18th century, even the 17th century that are no longer considered even remotely true in this day and age to, to, to define what they think is intelligence. And, you know, we had that situation where Dr. Craig Bettner, who is the, the uh, scientist that decoded the human genome, I was very happy when he retweeted me. That was like, ah! but, you know, <laughs> here we, here we are 27, 2018 now, and we know that there's no um, genetic structure that links things, superficial traits like skin color to intelligence. This is just a fact, a scientific fact, yet they're still persisting to bring up this long debunked idea that there is, um, this still is in place. So I don't know how you get through to these folks. They're very committed to their ideas. They're very committed to their racism and they're not necessarily coming from a place of reason. So I think it's a tough, yeah. So it's a little bit tough. Um, 
Andrew Anglin speaks of what he calls the the Overton window uh, when defending his version of free speech, because all of these things to these folks is free speech. Uh, to me, it seems just more of a normalization of racism and the, the way that they speak about things. They're talking about expanding ideas that are acceptable, which that's absolutely happening. I don't I can't be in denial about that. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the Overton window, as far as I understand it, is their term to refer to the range of acceptable discourse or what mm-hmm. we're allowed to talk about. So, you know, maybe five years ago, and frankly, I've noticed this just in, in journalism, even what you're allowed to write, the words you're, you're allowed to use, they have to be in quotes. We're allowed to right. quote these guys being as vile and racist as they really are, whereas right. In years past, you know, you would ha- that some of that stuff would get scrubbed out in the editing process just because mm-hmm. you're worried about the sensitivities of your of your readership. But you know, so I think about that a lot when I'm when I'm you know quoting these guys because I don't want to to mask the ugliness of this, but right. you know, I also want to be wary of, of of normalizing anything evil and um and that is their objective. Their objective is to normalize hate and racism. Yeah. And just keep ramming it down our throats on social media, wherever, um, and force people to talk about it. And, you know, the free, the, the first amendment issues that they bring up, <clears throat> there's so much hypocrisy undergirding yeah. all of that because Andrew Anglin will, you know, talk about free speech all the time, uh, and how, People like me are trying to shut him down just Mm -hmm. by doing my job, which is reporting on him. I mean, Mm -hmm. journalism is. (laughs) That is what free speech is. (laughs) Yes, we are living examples of of free speech in practice. Uh, And so in the same breath, he'll talk about how he's this crusader for free speech and how all journalists need to shut up or be killed. So, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what you, dissonance is amazing. <laughs> right. And, and I, he is an extreme example, but it, it's that same mindset is what they all have. And so, you know, Richard Spencer going to campuses to to speak is not so much really about the exercise of the First Amendment. I don't mm-hmm. think it's more about stirring up these emotions. Uh, it could be expanding the Overton window, trying to get uh, a response rather than having his views heard. Right. All of their views proceed from all their ideas are founded on, on racism. And that's why, to your earlier point, all the pseudoscience comes in because right. they're not approaching anything honestly. Nothing. No. They are, right. are, are, are seeking some sort of false conclusion, so they have to cherry pick, you know, facts from history or science that then they kind of mash together to advance their argument. Um, right. And so when you, when you actually get into a debate of ideas with them, which is what, is what they claim to, to want all the time, right. when it actually <laughs> happens, I've, I tried to do this with a few of them just to see where it would go. It, yeah. it devolves within a minute. It, yes, it, it does. <laughs> them being racist and hateful, you know. Oh, yeah. You want to talk, talk about immigration? Well, the founders wanted our country to be white. I'm like, oh, well, so is that, is that as far back as your, you know, your time machine goes is to, to the founders when you're talking about America? Right. Because if you, go, if you go a little bit before that or even during the time of the founders, you know, 
white colonial immigrants here were engaged in genocide. I mean, they Correct. were committing a genocide against the native people here, but nah, you know, it's kind of an inconvenient thing that happened in history. Um, right. that's also why they, yeah, you know, you mentioned, uh, what did you say? It was that, you know, if the white, uh, colonial countries have been, have been beneficial for say your black right. countries, right? Right. Um, Wasn't that Richard Spencer's argument at his, uh, his quote unquote think tank. That was, I believe when I saw the video, one of the arguments he was making was that they needed us. They weren't civilized. Yes. And, and one of the, the nastiest uh, arguments that they make that I've heard is that slavery was good for African Americans. Oh, yeah, it got them out of Africa and it got them to, to a, a white country where they're going to be better off anyway. I mean, it's right. just so like, how it's do you perverse. even, Right. How do you even engage with an idea like that? It's just disgusting. So it's disgusting. Uh, yeah. So then, you know, I understand why people want to punch these guys in the face because <laughs> there, there really is no talking to them. There's no talking to them. They're not, they're so committed to their hateful ideology that you, you literally, I've tr- I, I, I have tried to reason with them only, I mean, only to have the most um, gross, vile things said to me by these folks. And you just kind of go, mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> How's that I going, by the way? How's uh, how, how are you doing on Twitter these days? I have not since Third Spectre's been suspended this last time. I have not had very much trolling going on, so I'm assuming that all that trolling was related to his cadre of nut jobs. <laughs> so I'm sure mm-hmm. he's going to come back though again in another incarnation, no doubt. He's been what eight different handles now. It's remarkable. And I'm sure his podcast, what's uh Fash the Nation is, is probably still going strong. But he's um he's a bad guy too. He's somebody we should be concerned about. Um let's talk a little bit about the difference between incitement and free speech. I see um I see some some muddled waters out there, and uh, clearly I don't think there's a, a solid line in the sand other than the fact that if you specifically attack a single person versus a group, that's a problem. But I feel like a lot of times people get confused about the concept of free speech. Free speech doesn't protect another private enterprise from not wanting anything to do with what you're saying, i.e., if Twitter wants to suspend you because you're not, so they have every right to do that. It's not free speech. Free speech is a pact with the government. It's where the government protects your rights and certainly yours as a member of the press. But these folks seem to don't, they don't seem to understand or be able to distinguish these two different things. And I think the third, um, the third prong is what incitement is. And that's a whole different conversation as well. So there's been a couple cases recently. I know the ACLU had been defending uh, Michael, God, I'm going to say his name wrong again, Matthew Heimbach, Heimbach. Mm-hmm. Heimbach yeah. uh, his group, and now they've stepped away from that, and they've come out with this uh, premise that they're no longer going to defend free, spe- free speech issues with folks that carry guns at rallies, which I think is a good decision on their bequest. What is your opinion on um, these matters? Do you think the ACLU or some of these other folks should be drawing the line at some point, or do you think we should defend hate speech as free speech? I think we, yes, I think that we have to be very, very careful with the First Amendment. And we don't mm-hmm. want to do anything that undercuts the First Amendment. And right. hate, hate speech is free speech. But yeah. there's quite a bit that is proscribed uh, by the First Amendment, and you know, such as true threats, uh, you know, fighting words, 
um, right. defamation, things like this. So there are, there are these legal mechanisms that uh, should curtail, you know, bad actors. Um, in terms of the ACLU, like that's, that's their decision. I know a lot of people have been very upset with yeah, the ACLU defending I, these guys, but I, yeah, I, I struggle with this one a lot because we do need some, like, these, these guys are saying horrible things, but that is their right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the government is intruding on their ability to, uh, to say what they want, as long as what they say is not already illegal, then there does need, they do need some sort of defense, I think, because that defense is not just for them. That defense right. is for every, everybody's right to, to, to free speech. Um, but it's such a, a tricky situation because it's tricky. The, the ACLU winds up defending people who claim to respect free speech, but really despise free speech. All they yeah. want is their speech. They want to silence right. anyone who disagrees with them. And if they were ever to come into power and just everybody knows, I think that's an incredible long shot. But if people with those views were to come into power, you better believe the First Amendment would be one of the first things to go. And <laughs> yeah. freedom of the press, freedom, of, you know, political dissent. No, they, they, they don't really care about those things. No, they are trolling the system. And so if you are, you know, if you're going to defend um, somebody's right to do that, well, that is a different decision, I think. And, you know, if they, I, I agree with the decision not to defend somebody, somebody's right to undermine, you know, the system of civil liberties that we have. I don't think the ACLU should be doing that. So I agree with that. I think um, I think that's the right way to look at it. I think we do protect the First Amendment at all costs. But at the same time, I do think the ACLU is correct in that decision. Because what you saw happen at that particular event were guys that were there being very violent. They shot, they, you saw videos of them shooting at the protesters. I, they didn't maybe shoot one directly, but who's to say that at the next hate rally that they don't? I think it's a legitimate concern. So either, so either these guys decide to show up at the rallies without their guns. Or they continue on the path that they're on. They have a choice to make. Um, or they can hire their own attorneys. You know, they, or they can, yeah, there's that. <laughs> like, and, and it seems like there's enough money flowing in that direction. Right. You know, there's far, there's far right money flowing in that direction. None of these guys seem to have jobs. They seem to be professional subversives who right. travel the country, show up at these rallies, are constantly generating propaganda online. Uh, yeah, Heinbach claims to live in a trailer. I'm, I'm sure that he's not well off, but I mean, look at Richard Spencer. He's got, I mean, he may have family money. Andrew England has taken in, it's almost half a million dollars in, in Bitcoin over the last two years. His, his webmaster, uh, Andrew Arnheimer, his, his Bitcoin stash is yeah. going to be over a million dollars. So I, where I is this money coming place. from? Do you know? Have you traced the no, money? No, I mean, we're, we're talking about how to do that a little bit better. I'm talking to some people, but you know, it's uh, cryptocurrency is, is hard to trace, but depending on what you use, there so are, it's all Bitcoin. are 
Well, they've been using Bitcoin, but they're switching to harder to trace coins. Oh, interesting. Um, right. So Bitcoin, you can, you can, you can do a couple of things. Uh, if people have made their Bitcoin wallets public, you can kind of go several iterations back in the, where the money flow and see kind of where it's coming from and sort of try to connect the, the numbers for the wallets to mm-hmm. actual people if they publicize them. Uh, you can also do pattern detection uh, with some of this stuff that could indicate regular payments, almost as if somebody might be on a, uh, a salary. Um, mm. So there, there are a couple things that you can do that we're exploring, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have some good research coming out on that soon, because that really would be the best way to hold these guys accountable, is to figure out who's subsidizing them. Right. So Andrew's partner is, uh, you brought him up just now. Let's talk about him a little bit. Uh, his pseudo name is Weave. I don't know if folks know much about this guy. He's a hacker. He's even been in documentaries that you can see on Netflix. So he's a famous, yep. famous hacker guy. And he's, I'm understanding he's living in uh, Europe currently. Yes. Have you been tracing his whereabouts? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, he is in Moldova, possibly, Transnistria or something. He tries to stay out of the reach of U.S. extradition treaties. And you can read into that right. what you will. But uh, right. he, he's, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> you an interesting read into guy. read what you will. <laughs> right. Like yes, I believe the U.S. government and- would like to put him in jail. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't have a job. Who's right. been living overseas for a while has at least a million dollars in cryptocurrency, has some uh, you know internet skills, some cyber criminal skills, and yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Also, and also was in federal prison for a time, and you know was got out early on what I believe is a jurisdictional technicality, but mm. it sure, it sure looks funny. It all looks real funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he hooked up with Anglin a few years back and he's become the webmaster for the daily stormer. He's also the webmaster for the right stuff, which is another major alt-right site. And they do a lot of podcasts there. Um, so he, he does have some technical ability. And as he said, you know, this documentary was done on him. He was kind of this like, Silicon Valley darling back in yeah, the day. He was. Um, yeah. And for, for whatever reason, cause he, he was sort of a, a punk, a cyberpunk mm-hmm. type and was just shocking and could be offensive. But, uh, you know, all the libertarians seemed to get off on that and, yep. y- you know, but the whole time he was a Nazi as well. I mean, I've seen videos where he is, uh, acting like a Nazi saying Nazi things before he got a swastika tattooed over his heart. And right. uh, so, and that was back in the day when these kind of celebratory documentaries were being made about him. So I find him to be a very interesting character for a bunch of reasons. One is his role in this whole movement, but two is kind of what he represents and what he says about um, Silicon Valley and, and about, you know, the tech community's involvement in this, because there are certain attitudes that I think are problematic, uh, that, that are, are held widely at these tech companies. Mm-hmm. And you and I actually met, I looked this up, uh, before 
giving you a call because I wanted to remember the specifics of it. You had posted something about um, it was some imagery, some alt-right imagery. There was a swastika in there. Yeah. Um, and you were upset about it. You said, you know, Nazis are successfully leveraging social media to spread propaganda. Yeah, and, that, that was and, a meme. They were, they, those were the third specter guys were sending me. They were tweeting me these memes, these, um, mm-hmm. in my notices nonstop. And those were just a smattering of them. And, and they're tweeting you Adam Waffen memes. And Adam Waffen yeah. is this extremely hardcore group within the alt-right that, uh, I mean, one, one of the members murdered two of the other ones earlier this year. There was a double, oh, a double yeah. homicide here in Virginia where a kid right. who had, had started kind of hanging out on Adam Waffen, you know, sites and consuming the propaganda and started reading a book that Adam Waffen republished, an old Nazi book, wound up murdering his girlfriend's parents. Um, they look to me like a domestic, um, you know, white supremacist ISIS style group. And yeah. So, they, you know, being tweeted memes uh, uh, that those guys made is, is really scary. But, you know, what you said was that they're leveraging social media to do this and mm-hmm. silence isn't an option. And, and I think I retweeted you or something or I replied yeah, and I just I said <laughs> something like, ironically, I was just going, yay, Twitter, you know, like <laughs> making fun of Twitter because they don't do anything. They really don't do much to, to crack down no. on this. No. Uh, and I think that you thought I was a Nazi at first. And yes, I did not get your sarcasm. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Luke O'Brien. Oh. <laughs> so, so that's well, how we connected. But. Exactly. Sometimes the sarcasm, you're so used to that. That it sounds so real and genuine because you're so used to hearing this stuff that you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> right. You know, speaking of the Daily Stormer, have they found a new home? I know they've been through, what, three or four different versions now where they've been shut down by Google. They were shut down by GoDaddy. Then they moved to Russia. Are, yep. are they up and live again anywhere? Do you know? They are. They are indeed. They are. I hope this doesn't drive any traffic to their site, but it's dailystormer.red right now. And they have been up there for as long as, much longer, in fact, than any of these other places post-Charlottesville. And it's, it's, it's very troubling because Anglin has got his site pretty much back up to full speed. He's got the, the forums back open. Uh, the book clubs and the book clubs are where these daily stormer readers do their organizing. So, mm-hmm. you know, he set up these book clubs for cities all over the country, all over the world. You can set them up yourself if you're part of a daily part of that community. And this is where these guys will, will plan to meet in person and to, to take this stuff off the internet and into the real world. And that's where it gets really really scary. And so he's, he's got this all up and running again. Um, and there's some strange stuff going on with, I think the domain registrar, the, the guy who's hosting the site who has hosted some really scandalous stuff in the past. Like I I Mm. think some, um, child, child pornography sites and some, uh, pro bullying sites. Um, 
And then I don't know, I actually called the company, the, the domain registrar and had a, to find out what was going on. And I had a very strange interaction with them hmm. uh, where, yes, where they basically, and this is my issue with all these tech companies. It's a little more pronounced. It was more pronounced in this phone call, but they just washed their hands of this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. so, someone's using our service. There's nothing we can do about that. You know, right. I mean, he has a right to do whatever he wants. We just provide a service. And if there's a copyright violation or we get a subpoena or something, of course, we'll, we'll respond to it. But, oh, yeah, like, you know, unless he's violating the terms of service, which he clearly is, I believe, by advocating violence on his site. Um, and they don't do anything about it. But I talked right. to a guy at this company and was asking these questions, and he was just incredibly evasive. And he wouldn't even give me his, his name. He, he gave me his first name and I said, well, you're acting as a spokesman for this company, uh, mm-hmm. GRG, I believe it's called. And I, I said, I'm, I'm, I might quote you in a story. And he said, I don't want you to quote me. I'm like, well, it's not really your choice. You know, I'm a reporter <laughs> calling you to find out why you are working with the world's most popular neo-Nazi site. And, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't give me his last name. I mean, it's just, it, it really got my spidey sense tingling a little bit with this company. As it should. Yeah. It reminds me of the whole scenario with Backpage, how they were literally washing the hands of the human trafficking that was occurring on their website. And, you know, this is, again, we get into this area of free speech because even organizations like EFF defended this. And I'm like, at what point do you draw a line? They They are selling children for sex on their website. And People are trying to change this, and you folks are washing your hands of it. It's, this isn't free speech. This is human trafficking. And no, people right. don't have a right to sell children on websites. That's not a form of free speech. Stop saying it is. But, you know, they get into this area where they think if they do anything that allows anything on the Internet to be slightly curtailed, they violated some, you know, third rail or something. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. And I, I hear your frustration and I agree with you. There, there should be some sort of obligation in yes. place for these it, folks to do the moral thing, do the right exactly. thing. When, when do ethics come into the picture here? And I actually exactly. don't, I actually think that it's disingenuous for them to, in many cases, to make this uh, free speech absolutism argument. Uh, I think that provides right. them cover to not have yeah. to do anything because Oh, it, it would be terrible for Twitter's business model if they actually shut down Donald Trump, say, which they, they should have already. It, it right. would be terrible for Twitter's business model even just to get rid of the bots, to, do, to have a genuine effort to get rid of the bots on their platform. Right. And, and so uh, what I see with Twitter, and that's why, you know, when we met, that's why I brought that up because I was kind of calling out Twitter. I, yeah. And Spectre is a good example. You've got a guy who is cyber harassing you who mm-hmm. gets shut down and then the next day he's up and running under a different handle. And I understand that there are like technical challenges to track, you know, people are masking their IP addresses and all this, but I mean, come on, like there are Nazis on Twitter right now tweeting violent things, hate yeah. speech, horrible things. Yeah. A lot of which I don't think is actually protected by the first amendment that Twitter does nothing about. And then there's the question of, well, okay, so if the First Amendment protects hate speech, you are a, a, your own company. You're not the U.S. government. Do you not have some moral obligation to create a healthy marketplace of ideas if that's what you're going for here right, instead of right. this sewer as it is so many times? 
Um, Correct. It's very, it's very short-sighted because, you know, I think for your business model, you want to have a place that, that, that people can go to and enjoy being in. Yes. Absolutely. And you, and you just brought something up. You know, you had the Brandenburg test for incitement, and that's one of the things that came out of that. So, you know, a person can generally say, I think all mu- Muslims should die. I want to kill all Muslims. They can make blanket statements like that. That's hate speech, but it's not considered incitement to violence. But if you say Tanya Gersh needs to be killed, that's a whole different conversation. That's not protected free speech. And in fact, have you been, fo- speaking of Tanya Gersh, have you been following the Richard Spencer, Tanya Gersh um, lawsuit over cyber? Or actually, is it, uh, it England she's going after? Pardon me. So have you yep. been following this? I, oh, yeah. I wrote a story about it today because. Oh, excellent. A- yeah, England. Right. This is a very interesting case in the Internet era about uh, the First Amendment. And uh, a person, can you hold a person accountable for the, the threatening, intimidating uh, speech and harassment that he orchestrates and directs at a target? Now, Anglin's not, so I guess I should provide some background probably for your yeah. listeners. Okay, yeah, I'm not clear so, on it, but maybe our listeners aren't. Let's talk a little bit about what brought us to this place. Okay, so Andrew Anglin, the publisher of The Daily Stormer, is probably most infamous for his ability to whip up what he calls troll storms. He has an army of of readers on his site, his Nazi trolls, the Stormer Troll Army. And when he gets upset with somebody, and it's happened numerous times in the past, Often uh, it will be a, you know, last year, two years ago, it was Jewish journalists. If they criticize Trump, Anglin would right. then order his readers to go and harass these people. And it's happened to me. He's been doing it to me for mm-hmm. over a year now. And basically what this entails is you're, get, you're getting bombarded by phone calls, by emails, by Twitter messages, if any of these guys are still on Twitter. Um, but you're being, you're being harassed. You're being threatened. They're threatening to find your family. Uh, and these right. are actual neo-Nazis, you know? And so, and you never know how, uh, if these are just keyboard warriors or if there's an actual lunatic out there who's going to take this offline. And, right, like and a Dylan Roof. Who was a commenter, reportedly, on the Daily Stormer. And there are now, mm-hmm. as, as of, you know, a few, a few weeks ago, when this guy in New Mexico killed two people, and he was a daily Storm, member of the Daily Stormer community. There are now 15 murders that have been committed by wow. members of the Daily Stormer community in the last two or three years. So wow. the threat is very real. You've got to consider it's the real. context. But Anglin will sick these people on whoever he wants. And he went after this Jewish woman in Whitefish, Montana, who had gotten into a property dispute with Richard Spencer's mother. Um, the Spencer family has owns property in this town and it's been going to the ski town for years. And, mm-hmm. and they, they got into a little dispute. Uh, Richard Spencer's mother made it public. And then Andrew Anglin saw that and jumped in with his troll army. And for weeks, they attacked this woman. Um, they cyber stalked her, cyber harassed her. I mean, these are actual death threats, uh, right. you know, threatening to, you know, stuff her in a gas chamber or telling her things like, you know, the day of the rope it, it will, will come soon. And 
they went after her 12 year old son. They went after her husband. They went after other Jews in town that they could find. Right. They, they, it was just this really nasty thing. They threatened to have an armed march, skinhead march through town, which I don't know if Andrew England has the logistical ability to actually execute that. But, um, if you don't, if you, I mean, if you're not familiar with the Daily Stormer and Andrew yeah. England, and this suddenly starts happening to you, this is incredibly traumatic. So it's scary. It's very terrifying. I mean, Tanya Gersh told me that, uh, you know, she came home one night and found her husband in the dark with the suitcases packed, ready to flee this idyllic mm-hmm. little ski town that they lived in for 20 plus years. I mean, that's, wow. should that be happening in our country? It should not no. be. That's the answer, no, it right? No, should not be. And, and and I'm a, a little upset about this because the cops, I feel, should have done more here. The mm-hmm. small town cops didn't have the ability to really investigate this. They pointed right. it to the FBI. The FBI really didn't do anything. And so Tanya Gersh is left to pursue civil litigation against Andrew Anglin. So she sued him in federal court. And that case is, is, is ongoing. Uh, England has been essentially trolling the federal court. That's my interpretation of it uh, <laughs> by pretending to be, you know, he, at first he claimed he lived in Nigeria. Then he entered some evidence suggesting he, he lived in Russia, which he did at one point. Now right. he's saying he lives in Cambodia, but he's, he's, he's claiming to be outside the jurisdiction of the federal court and therefore immune to and, and this prosecution. And, mm. um, I don't know. And today I wrote a story about how he has turned to Holocaust denial as a legal <sighs> defense, which is just, are you so, kidding me? I'm not, it's just incredibly depraved. And what he's saying is, well, and, and his lawyer, Mark Randazza, I should also point out is, is, you know, helping him do this. Uh, what they're saying is, well, Andrew Anglin, doesn't believe the Holocaust happened. He doesn't believe there were gas chambers. He doesn't believe any Jews were killed. So when one of his followers at his behest tells this Jewish woman in Montana, you're going to go in the gas chamber. Well, it's just lulls, you know, it's just, it's not a real threat. It can't be because he doesn't believe the Holocaust is real. There were no gas chambers. And, you know, so that's what we're dealing with so here now. It's, yeah, it's frightful. <laughs> and, you, you know, you brought up the fact that there were, you said 15 murders now connected with the Daily Stormer. Is, is, that, is it up to 15, you said? It's at least 15 murders committed by people who are known members of this community. And by that, I right, don't just right. mean people who are casually reading the site, people who no, are commenting yeah, right. on it. Commenting, or yeah, in the in, book club. In, exactly. No, and I understand that. So to me, this, this is a clear example of, of incitement. We've now crossed the line from we're talking about a First Amendment right to free speech. We're not, we've now crossed the line where people are getting murdered over the, the um, foaming of the mouth of the hate speech. I mean, it's, it's reached a level where at some point it shocks me that the FBI wouldn't get involved in this. I mean, at what point does it become too much? Which, re- which brings me to my next question. I know one of Richard Spencer's um, and Identity Europa, I know one of their big pushes was when they were talking about normalizing uh, the movement and becoming more palatable to more of the right, one of the things they did was was talk about infiltrating the FBI, infiltrating the police force, infiltrating all of these um, authoritarian type uh, organizations. And I think that they've been 
partially successful in this area. We've had instances where police officer, officers, uh, sheriffs, department heads, et cetera, have come out as being Nazis or that mm-hmm. it's been brought out in um, cases where there's been violence committed. What percentage of, of do you think of these folks are maybe committed to this ide- ideology? Do you think it's a fair enough number where we should be concerned about it? And what do we do about it? Because clearly it's going to start to cause problems when it comes to persecuting cases or defending victims in these circumstances. Uh, are you talking about law enforcement? Or are you talking about the alt-right guys? The alt-right guys that are in law enforcement. I'm talking about how uh. they, you see what I'm saying? So one of, the, one of Richard's thing was like, well, we have to infiltrate the police department. We have to infiltrate academia. We have to, you know, his idea was we have to have folks in all of these positions. And I know that they've been successful at infiltrating a certain level of uh, enforcement in this country. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Have you followed any well, of these cases? A little bit. I mean, I, this is something I want to research more, actually. I, I okay. think it's dangerous to two things. One, I, I'm not sure that the alt-right in its current manifestation by that, I mean, this like newer crop of more millennial white supremacists that know how to use the internet have actively infiltrated law enforcement agencies. Uh, I think that they would like to, I think what, what I, I mean, what I think is that there is just this attitudinal overlap that is often there and it doesn't even require this active there's this authoritarian mindset that uh, is part of just the law enforcement makeup. I mean, that's what law enforcement is. And so, you know, depending on where you are, that's the other thing jurisdictionally, like I live in Washington, DC. I, I mean, I grew up here. I grew up when this was a majority black town and uh, a lot of the police officers here are black. And I think that, you know, you're going to have a harder time finding that, that this sort of infiltration, or you're going to have a harder time finding kind of the racist attitudes, although right. I'm sure, I'm sure that they do exist uh, among some of them. It's really hard when you talk about the cops because I've met a lot of good police officers. I've worked with a lot of good ones on stories before who are, are truly fine people. And I hate to, I hate to talk about them categorically, you know, because this is definitely a problem within law enforcement in the United States. There are actual right. racists, there are, yeah. are actual Nazis who have a badge and a gun. Yeah. And some of them have been exposed, but then I think there are a lot more that aren't Nazis, probably, you know, have racist views, but don't consider themselves like any sort of part of an organized uh, racist movement right. um, who are a bigger problem. And, you know, there's kind of just like a fascist mindset among a lot of them. And and then there are a lot of good ones. So it's it, it is hard. Yeah, to there's know. definitely good ones too. But it's hard to know. And I know what like, was it in Oklahoma that the they had a guy that was linked. I've just seen a few cases of this. I just don't know how widespread it is, or if it's really something we should be concerned about. I guess at the end of the day, I, I think we should be. Yeah, of course. I think that anybody who's empowered to shoot you in the back, uh, right. Is, you know, some, somebody that we should be concerned about in their mindset. I think we should be concerned about their ideology. You know, we had a reporter here, Jess Schulberg, a very good reporter who did a story on, on Nazi lawyers 
should a Nazi be allowed to become a lawyer? Like, can you pass mm-hmm. the fitness test that a lot of bars have? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to suspend any of your, your bias when you're representing a client. That's kind of mm-hmm. what, you know, that's the requirement for a lawyer. That's fair. But what if, yeah, it is. But what if you're inherently a racist? And right. kind of a similar thing for, for the police, right? Like, should there be right. this sort of, I want to say like an ideological fitness test because then you're straying into like political terrain that's really, really thorny, but you know, just like a decency tolerance type of fitness test. Um, But yes. Yeah. And I mean, there's clearly a ton of racist police officers. I mean, just the slew of, of shootings we've seen, you know, innocent victims, Eric, Eric Garner's father. I mean, you can go down the list. These are, these are murders in my opinion, but I guess uh, the next step for me that I worry about is if there is a handful of neo-Nazis that are actively trying to, you know, red pill the racist police officers. I mean, maybe these are racist police officers that are, might have some biases, but they're not committed to this extreme ideology. You have, okay. So, but you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I have not seen the alt-right trying to do that. I'm sure Richard okay. Spencer wants to do it, but... Yeah, I saw him I think, speaking uh, somewhere about this, and it was kind of a disturbing thing to hear, and it's like, mm, how I, much... I don't, know how, I, I don't know how they do it other than through the, the propaganda vehicles they already have set up, which would be more a, a police right. officer co- coming to one of these sites or listening to Richard Spencer's speech. Um, Okay. You know, I think I think that there that what we have to worry about is the built-in bias that exists in in law enforcement around this country, and it varies, I'm sure, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But that is a huge problem. And so, if you have that kind of latent prejudice that's in there, the the danger is that the alt right comes along. You know, it's kind of making racism fun and hip and right. okay. <laughs> and they've got this, you know, the terminology and the, in, in, you know, the ideological framework. And it's, it'd be very easy for someone who's predisposed to that to lean into it. So that's right. how they read the red pill normies. I'd be worried about them red pilling police who have these tendencies for sure. Right, right. Um, but but I want to I mention one thing that actually is much, much scarier to me but in this, in this domain. And that is... Andrew Anglin, again, I know I keep coming back to him, but I, I know a lot about him. He, yeah. I, months ago, took note of um, there was like a, I think ICE was trying to hire a lot of new rookie officers to come in and basically deport people, kick down doors, grab Mexicans, maybe shoot them, you know, get them out of the country. Mm-hmm. And Anglin was urging all his readers, many of whom are young and need jobs to, to apply for this sort of thing. Oh. And that, yeah. And, and I don't know if anyone did, um, but that's the kind of stuff that scares, scares me when you've got like a federal agency that is almost being organized on racist principles now um, that throws its doors open to new recruits and who's, who's gonna, who's gonna come in through those doors. Uh, right. I mean, I, I would love to talk to an older ICE agent who's watched kind of transformation happen in, in the agency and then, and then follow a new guy coming in and, and try to gauge the mindset because I think that would be revealing. 
Yeah, I agree. Because again, this is a, an area of authority where, where obviously race plays a factor as far as, as what decisions are made. That's a frightful development. Yes. Uh, have you followed this situation where Amber from uh, Chapo Trap House is being sued by an alt-right professor for defamation? Have you followed this story at all? Uh, not too closely. I heard a little bit about it, but I haven't really followed it. Okay. So no comment on that, I suppose, if you don't follow I it. I probably um, am, am not qualified to comment on that. No. <laughs> right, fair enough. I was just <laughs> curious about that. Um, you met Matthew Heimbach last year in Indiana at his um, camp, so to speak. I don't know what else you call this. What was that like? Uh, do you have any interesting stories in regards to that situation? Um, at, at his compound? Yeah, his compound. Well, let's see. They vape constantly. Uh, <laughs> That's random. <laughs> yeah, no, vaping is a huge thing in the alt right. I didn't realize that. Is it really? Oh man, no. I was rolling around with him, and it was just clouds of smoke everywhere. Uh, How funny! Yeah, so the compound, the compound is. You know, it's uh, maybe two acres, one one acre. Um, it's it's small, and a couple trailers, a dilapidated house that they were trying to fix up by watching YouTube videos, trying to you know do wiring. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, this, this might not end well, boys. You know, but, this does uh, not end well. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't know what the status of that is because it was over a year ago that I was out there. Um, okay. I've heard that. I've heard that they kind of moved on. Um, ah, okay. Well, I don't, you know, they, somebody still owns the property and it's either Heimbach or it's this guy, Matt Parrott, who is, uh, sort of the, the power behind the power at the right. traditionalist worker party. Um, Heimbach is a good front man. He's very glib and is practiced in, you know, talking to people and kind of hurling a propaganda about, and, and Parrott is a very smart guy who, uh, likes to stay more behind the scenes. Um, they're, they're interesting guys, no doubt, but I, I've heard that they've shifted their uh, base of operations, uh, their primary base of operations um, elsewhere, in part maybe because the town uh, turned out not to be as receptive to having a neo-Nazi compound in their midst as the Nazis right. wanted. And, you know, this is a, a farming community. It's a small town. It's got to be 97% white or more, which is right. what I, I think I made that, that joke when I was out there hanging out with them. They kept going off on these rants about multiculturalism and, you know, what the, what's wrong with the United States and the need for an ethno state. And I'm like, guys, you're living in the ethno state. This is it. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, it, it really doesn't get more white than this. So what's the deal here? And you, and, and you know, it's questions like that, uh, that they struggle to answer that reveal maybe some of the underlying motivation for why they do what they do. Because right. there's some psychological stuff here. There's emotional stuff here that they don't even understand that right. I'm trying to understand, but not qualified to that. I hope some psychologist will try to really understand. 
because uh, anyway. Good. No, I get it. I think that, no, but it's it's an important tangent. I think you're right. It, it, you know, Trump is not he's not the disease. He's a symptom of the disease. The the growth in neo Nazism isn't the disease. It's a symptom of the disease. All of these folks. Are, are, these things are gaining power because you have a lot of disenfranchised folks that have severe income inequality issues. They're not making money. They can't find jobs. If they are working, they're underpaid. They can't get an education, which is a huge problem. Education would, would help alleviate a lot of these issues, I believe. And I think the disease actually is, is the neoist. It's the neocon neoliberal ideals that have kind of pushed forward um, all of these economic problems, et cetera, globalization. So, I think they're lashing out because they have these problems and they're being told to blame the brown guy, blame the black guy. The reason you don't have a job is because of them. You know, and it was a similar situation, you know, right prior to Nazi Germany, you had problems. So, um, you know, psychologically, yes. I think I, what was an interesting thing in your piece in the Atlantic, you talked about some of the crazy conspiracy theories that England believed and that journey that he took to sort of reach his his hate place. And uh, it was really amazing. I mean, he spent time in the Philippines, and you're like, how did this guy become this person if he was open to these cultures at one point? You know, obviously something horrible happened to change this, to flip the switch, so to speak. Um, but I was very fascinated by this one little tidbit that I think most people didn't notice, but it fascinated me. He has a tattoo that is a symbol of, of uh, a form of Nazism where Hitler is an avatar of Vishnu. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. And so I had to look this up because I had never been exposed to this notion before. And it's really kind of fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, uh, it's 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 pretty crazy stuff. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's very crazy. That's why I want to talk. Well, I think it kind of encapsulates the crazy side of of why these um, folks sort of latch on to conspiracy theories, theories within this neo-Nazi realm. Yes. I mean, esoteric Hitlerism is uh, kind of a term for it. And yeah, it, uh, it is, its tendrils do extend into these like really strange conspiracy theories or just almost this kind of myth building that, uh, you know, a, a subculture requires, especially one that is rejecting everything that's, that's already established within the mainstream. So, and the Nazis did this too. They, they hearken back to, you know, the pagan ancestry of Germany and plucked a lot of symbols from that and mm -hmm. Norse gods and the runes and all this. But this is kind of like a, a, Almost, I hadn't thought about it like this until now, but it is sort of a multicultural uh, mishmash of stuff that they're that that they're pulling from. But um, <laughs> you know, there was this. The this, irony didn't escape me. <laughs> right. So um, there was this writer. Uh, I think she was Greek, French, uh, or, or something, but she went by the name Savitri Devi. And mm -hmm. she lived in India for a while. She was, uh, I believe, a like a, a spy, essentially, for the Nazis in India in World War II. And she's the one that kind of tried to link uh, Nazism with the occult and, and uh, brought in some, you know, influences from, from Hinduism. Which is uh, so weird. It, it's, it's terribly weird. And... The idea is that, yes, Hitler is this reincarnation of a god. Um, but you still see people 
on the far right thinking this way, which is when it, where it gets uh, really messed up. And yeah, so Trump, this is, an, it's, it, it is just, I studied anthropology in college, and this is mm-hmm. the most fascinating stuff about the alt-right to me is the, the cultural production at work here. So, and, and the meme culture plays into this a lot. When yeah. the Trump campaign was, was picking up steam, the, you know, the, the meme magicians uh, kicked into overdrive, and they started creating these, you know, almost like, Godlike images of Trump, of the all-powerful Trump. I mean, they were deifying him in right. a way where he is this incarnation of, of of some force that they've been longing for, searching for. They they England was doing that already with Vladimir Putin, and right. The, then you see, you know, this whole idea of kekology, which is it essentially created their own their own gods. Uh, this god Kek, which is Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> it's represent, there's an actual ancient Egyptian God named Keck and it usually takes the form of a frog. And when they adopted, you know, Pepe as, as a meme, which was, right. a, is a cartoon frog that they stole from the cartoonist who invented it, who ended up trying to sue them to get it back, but it was, out right. of, you know, it was too, too late at that point. So Keck became this thing and trying to come up with almost a religion around this, what had started as a cartoon, a kind of tongue in cheek, you know, here's a cartoon frog that is going to mask our actual hate and our Nazi views, our fascist views. People would never question a frog, but it's a way to smuggle this stuff into the mainstream to culture jam it in there. And, but from there, this whole idea of like creating a religion around it starts to flourish so there's right. this interplay between what the old Nazis did and Heinrich Himmler had um, the black sun, the Sonnenrand, I think it's called, uh, yeah. uh, tiled on the floor of this like castle that he lived in. And this is the mystical side of, of Nazism. And it evolves out of that. And then you get this, this Devi writer who starts talking about Hitler as an avatar of Vishnu. Then there's this, this thing called Hyperborea. Have you heard of that? No, that one's actually a new one on me. What's that? Okay. So, and but it ties in perfectly to all this in some okay. weird way. Hyperborea is this mythical island somewhere near Greenland, Iceland, where uh, the Aryans originally lived. So any, you know, the Aryan race is actually descended from these like, giant beings that came from outer space and set up shop on this island somewhere north of Iceland. Of course it's in, of course it has I to mean, be north towards Scandinavia. It, yeah, it's exactly. It's more Scandinavian than even Scandinavia. They're like blonder than Scandinavians. So they're so white, they're see-through. Yeah. They're, they're translucent. In their Aryanness, and so wow. you know that that was oh actually a thing that was part of this like vein of, of of thinking, and I think some of them recognize how how nutty it is, and kind yeah. of uh, are especially the younger ones. They're approaching it with a smirk now, mm-hmm. um, but they're still making use of it. So you have kind of like this very ironic approach to this. Uh, but only up to a point because, because they're engaging with it so much. Right. And so many of them actually are a little delusional that 
uh, it's very easy for them to cross over into this 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 realm of uh, you know, and a lot of them are coming to the alt right, coming to neo Nazism uh, through this conspiracy theory land that you know yeah. Alex Jones is the king of. Right. So right. they're already conditioned to thinking about chemtrails and water fluoridation and the moon landing being a hoax. And then, ooh, what's this hyperborea thing? You know, <laughs> like I I've heard about the lizard people, but. <laughs> I think. So. That's seriously crazy. I have not heard this. This is, <clears throat> it gets crazier by the day. Interesting. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about the memes that were generated where Trump was almost godlike. And obviously, early on in his campaign, he was not, um, he wasn't refuting this stuff. If, if it was brought up to him, he had nothing to say about it. So, as by default, he almost embraced the um, endorsement of England and some of these guys from David Duke, et cetera. So that was the first time that I really thought to myself, wow, maybe, you know, maybe at the end of the day, Donald Trump really is a deep, deep racist. And I think at this point, it's very clear that that's true. But some of those uh, memes originated on 4chan. And um, what yeah. was described for the audience, some of the worst Trump memes because I think this is an important part of the conversation. He has Trump has definitely normalized a lot of this stuff, I think. And it's a little bit frightful. Right. Well Trump for these guys is a a fascist like figure. He right. is is a true authoritarian. So I think the ones that bothered me the most were the memes and you know, by that I mean a lot of the stuff is just artwork that they're creating and then trying to get circulating on, on social media. Uh, but artwork that depicted Trump in SS uniforms or in some kind of heroic pose looking out over an army of, of his loyal soldiers, you know, in America, a vision of a future America that looks a lot like Nazi Germany. And they were, and so it was Trump as Hitler in to some degree. And that is how they wanted to see him. I think most of them realized that he was never going to be a true American Hitler, but they view him as a precursor to that, as someone who opens the door for Mm. actual American Fuhrer to get in, get into politics and be successful. Um, you know, so, and that's not a crazy thing at all, because I have often warned people that it does get worse than this. It can. It doesn't necessarily oh, yeah. have to, but it certainly can. I agree. And I think that's why it's up to people now, right now. And this goes back to what your grandfather was saying, to yeah. do something about it. You can't just sit back and watch and wring your hands. You just can't. Right. I, I you mean, can't. Every, everybody has to find a way to try to do something about this. It's easy for me as a journalist. I know what I can do and I, I'm doing it. Uh, you have a platform here and so you're doing it. But and I do feel bad. I have a lot of friends who are just kind of wondering, you know, they're, 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 most of them are just trying to get by and right. they're working really hard and they're, they're afraid and they're worried about what's happening in this country and they don't yeah. know what to do. And I wish I had, I wish I had an easy answer for everybody. It's kind of, mm. but if you sit, if you sit on your hands, 
it doesn't make the situation better. No, and, it doesn't. And I think we have to work towards getting rid of a lot of the income inequality. And, you know, this is why, not to turn into a political conversation, but this is why I was a backer of Bernie Sanders, because I agree that the government, we used to have a time where I benefited from that. I went to UC Irvine, went tuition, was practically entirely paid for by the state, you know, and that helped me. And I know, you know, we, we've seen the income inequality grow and grow and grow and grow. And the 1% the autonomy keeps taking up more and more money. This is, these are creating conditions for the, for this stuff to just get worse. And mm-hmm. I think we need to address that as a nation. I mean, I can sit here and rail against the Nazis all day long and be disgusted by them, but we have to do something about the environment in which we're in, I believe, if we're yes. going to curtail the problem, because smacking these folks down in and of itself isn't going to solve the whole mess. In my opinion, I could not agree with you more, honestly, after studying this for almost two years now. And that is why I I think punching a Nazi is probably it might make you feel good. But I don't (laughs) know how that that really is, because there are root causes to what's going on here. And some of them are very hard to address. Some of them have been created by. And I just have to say it by decades of of mainly Republican policies. Right. to tear down labor unions, to, to drive that income inequality. And, right. you know, you, you're creating the conditions for actual fascism by doing that. When you yeah. have this, this wealth disparity, when you have this marriage of corporate power to political power at, at yep. the highest level, and, and the average person feels hopeless and shut out of the system, regardless right. of your, your race, Regardless, I mean, everything is relative, right? So, right. And, the, and the other thing is that there's been this dog whistling and this race baiting and actual yeah. racist policies since the civil rights era. And, you know, you, the Republican Party has had its, its propaganda platform in Fox News doing its bidding for decades and it has mm-hmm. caused enormous damage yeah, to this country. And the problem now is that reasonable, rational, decent people have to figure out a way to address these problems that goes beyond just the self-serving, you know, I'm going to go yell at a Nazi. You can go and do that, but we need to address the structural problems here. And uh, I mean, it's the opioid yeah. addiction. It's and, and well, oh, the opioid yeah, addiction, you know, problem, even, yeah. well, even saying that is kind of a loaded term because what you're saying when you throw that out there is, oh, poor white people that are on drugs, right? But yeah. and and what about all the poor minorities who have been suffering right. with these problems for decades that have right. been ignored? You know right. that. But the thing is, we have to deal with all of that, and we have to deal with the fact that there's been this racist conditioning of a lot of people out there. That when the the socioeconomic situation is is stressed and 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 turns the wrong way, that racism becomes a, a fallback for them, and it allows them to kind of you know they're they're angry and they have they're angry. Their anger is justified, but the targets of the anger are the are wrong not. ones. Correct. Yeah. And, they should turn and, around and start blasting the corporations and the corporate oligarchy. That's pretty much creating this environment. Yes, yeah, so the, the connection between the corporate oligarchy, the folks that they should be really getting angry at, and the politicians that are co-signing on this stuff, 
also who should they, they should be getting angry at. They're not getting angry at. And it's interesting to me that you continue to hear this, this thing about coming out of them about freedoms, how they all want their freedoms, freedom. But they're fascists. They don't really want freedom at the end of the day. These things are um, oxymoronic on a certain level. And I don't understand why they don't see that. Uh, I, I think one of the explanations is racism, honestly. And I think that that clouds their view of how the world yeah. is structured and actually works. It prevents them from honestly uh, approaching it. And, you know, I, I think about this all the time with, with Trump, where he was overtly, obviously a racist before mm-hmm. he got elected during his campaign. And yeah. there was one speech he gave where he, he was using an actual white nationalist language in the speech. And I was talking, I was interviewing some of these guys at the time and I actually asked Andrew Anglin, I asked some other people and I said, look, this guy, Trump is, he's an oligarch. He is a billionaire Manhattanite who right. inherited a ton of money uh, and, and is friends, is cronies with all these Wall Street guys. Um, do you really right. think that he's draining the swamp? <laughs> yeah, he's got your best interests in mind here. And and they would say, yeah, yeah, don't don't question Trump, don't question him. And mm. I attribute that to his racism and the fact yeah. that they like racism. And so it's kind of, they're shooting themselves in the foot they by are. being so so hateful, but they're also causing problems for all of the decent people out there as well. And right. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know like which root cause you try to tackle first. I mean, and maybe, right. and how do we do it? So there's such massive problems. Like how do we it's rebuild massive. the middle class in this society? Right. And at the same time, rooting out racism, especially there is now this younger generation of, of white men mainly who are coming of age as racists who have been radicalized yeah. at an even younger age than before. And these are the millennials. This is Gen Z, which the alt-right calls, I hate to say it, but generation Zyklon. And what right. do we do about them? They're still here after Trump's gone. They're still here. And, uh, you know, this problem doesn't just go away once, no. once we have a new president. So, no, and indeed it can get worse. I think you're right. I think it's interesting that <clears throat> you brought up how they d- they discuss Trump as the gateway drug, so to speak, into a full-blown American Nazi. And, you know, that people might listen to this and chuckle, but yeah, that is a possibility. Trump is, you know, I, I see a lot of the, the you know, my my particular beef right now is with the Democrats because I don't think they're fit to fight and they need to be fit to fight. They've engaged in, co-signed on so much of this stuff not the racist stuff, but so much of the income inequality and the corporatism that they don't know how to wean themselves off of it. And when faced with, you know, some of of Trump's appointees, they vote yes. And you're like, why aren't you fighting? Well, the donor class doesn't want you to. So there's, there's so many issues here that I think we have to start with the left really cleaning house and getting fit to fight because Believe me, what this can get worse. And if Trump was impeached tomorrow, who comes after Trump is going to be worse. Mike Pence is already a far more committed ideologue, and he's definitely more intelligent and probably more capable. So what I see coming down the pike scares me more. 
I don't, I mean, Trump is disgusting. He's a horrible racist. I hate that he is normalizing so many of the things that he's like, every day is a new thing that upsets me. But I'm also very concerned about how this can get worse and how my team is failing. <laughs> I just, I get frustrated. But I think as, I think as leftists, uh, as a group, people fighting this, we need to get really clear on what we are doing that's not working and fix it ourselves before we can get into the ring and really punch hard, so to speak. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah, well, I come at it from uh, as a journalist, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't have a label on me. People will put a label that's on fair. me, yeah, yeah, that's depending on, on on what I write or where I'm writing it for. I found since I started working at HuffPost, suddenly I'm like, you know, leftist fake news right. according to mag, MAGA people. <laughs> But right. I, you know, and I'm, anyway, uh, I think. No, and that's the that, right approach for a journalist. I don't think you should get political. I get that. Unless, of course, you're a political pundit. But, but yeah, I'm, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a pundit. But what I can say is that from my perspective and having talked to people on the far right and people on the far left quite a bit, is that you, I think your assessment of the current crop of, of Democratic centrists or liberals, even you might call them, Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is correct. I mean, they do okay. not, they have never shown the fight. They have, right. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's this attempt to find common ground with another side that has no interest in finding common ground and hasn't right. for years and years right. and years and only wants to rip your throat out. So, <laughs> right. you, you know, I, I'm reminded of, and it's a lovely, lovely expression, what Michelle Obama liked to say about, you know, when they go low, you, you go high, but yeah. when they're going low and they have like a knife down there and they're trying to like cut and gouge things, um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you know, Fight you, back. you better go <laughs> you at least get out of the way. Right. Get I out mean, of the way. Yeah. Don't bring, uh, it's like I brought a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, no. Right. I think that's right. Exactly. One side has been, uh, that does not care about the rules and will lie and, and, you know, backstab and do whatever they need to win to advance their ideology. And the other side keeps trying to get along and figure out why, why are these, uh, our fellow Americans behaving like this? But right. I can tell, I can tell you from studying this world now that it, the, the most disheartening thing and it's twofold. There's one kind of the, the level of delusional thinking that I see on the right, this kind of d- dismissal, this t- complete rejection of expertise, scientific thought, uh, academia, the media. Mm-hmm. These are all threats. Facts are now threats to, to many people on the right. And, and then the, and this is the hardest thing <laughs> for me to, to swallow is just the lack of ethics. Just yeah. the, the, the it's not like the moral compass is broken. The moral compass doesn't exist. And so that's what you're trying to sit down with and across the negotiating table. Uh, You, you should really think, think twice about that. And so I don't know. I don't want to say as a journalist that I, I don't know what, I don't really know what position I can't really take a position. I do think that there needs to be some pushback against um, dishonesty and, and counterfactual rhetoric and propaganda right. and racism in our society. And, yeah. and who, and who does that? I mean, we've got, we've got, we've got a, a, 
bipolar system now. And we've got two parties essentially in this country. So if one party is acting insane, then it is up to the other party to return sanity to, to political Indeed. discourse. And if they both serve the same donor class, we get into a real problem. And, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we're facing right now, and that's what we have to fix. I feel like there is nonpartisan ways to do that. Uh, for example, you have a group called American Promise that is working to pass the 28th Amendment, which would overturn Citizens United. I think that would be a very solid step that no matter your political affiliate, affiliation you could get behind, because unless we get money out of politics, we can't fix any of this if it, if it stems from income inequality, if it stems from lack of good paying jobs or jobs at all, you know, jobs disappearing in certain parts of the country. There's literally no jobs. And you've got, you know, and, and, and you're right. Trump did not drain the swamp. He was never going to drain the swamp. He's one of the worst oligarchs out there yet. Yet you had folks believing him. So, and, you know, you're probably right. It's because of their racist viewpoints. That's all they want to see. Anyway, is there any new articles that you have uh, coming out that you would like to tell folks to check out? Um, well, today I had this story about Andrew Anglin uh, using Holocaust denial as a legal defense. That's up okay. on Huffington Post now. I'm putting out a uh, newsletter on extremism uh, with a uh, colleague of mine here. So every week we're kind of focusing on a few little items in this space uh, and you can Will that be that. at Huffington Post or? Yes, that is, okay. that is at Huffington Post and I can, let me see, there should be a, a link to it. Um, and your yeah, Twitter handle you, is your name? Yes, it's at Luke O'Brien. You can find the link to that newsletter there and that's usually where most of my new stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm pumping it out there. Um, but if you're interested, if, if people are interested in this stuff, the newsletter would be a good, a good way to kind of get a digestible dose of it every week. And it's just, if you go to HuffingtonPost.com backslash newsletters, you should be able to find this one. It's the Track Hate newsletter. Oh, fantastic. Track Hate. Okay. Yes, that's the project yeah. you've been working on. I'm very excited about that, by the way. I think it's, it's excellent. Well, thank you. Yes, indeed. So any parting words for us today? Keep the faith. (laughs) (laughs) No, that works. (laughs) Thanks for coming on, Luke. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. Law Center, the Southern Poverty 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 Law Center, the Southern